Thank you, Michael and Jonna. Good morning. My name's Ryan, and I am one of the pastors here at City Church. Y'all can all look right over here and ignore (laughs) anything that's happening over there. I'm going to stand on this side of the stage, and the cameras can come this way. No, it's good morning. uh, It's such a joy to be able to worship together with you. We're so thankful uh, that you're here with us. Um, and to celebrate this Advent season. And as we uh, just heard read for us, and as we sang uh, the reminder of God's presence with us, um, what a gift that is to, re- to remember that. As we sang those words, my heart and flesh may fail. I just am thinking of my own heart uh, and how often uh, I feel um, ill-equipped and I, I don't feel like I'm doing the right things and I feel like I'm messing this or that up. And in all those seasons, um, in those moments, um, to be reminded Um, that Christ is enough. And uh, what we celebrate at Christmas, his incarnation, that God would come to dwell with us, to be like us, uh, to walk in our weakness, um, all of that is an amazing truth, an amazing thing that should transform the way we look at our lives, the way we live our lives, uh, and all that we do. Uh, This is, uh, in some ways, what the Apostle John was dealing with in his letter to uh, the churches in Asia when he wrote um, his epistle, 1 John, which is where we've been studying over the last few weeks. Um, we started this at the beginning of our Advent season, and much of what John is dealing with is the fact that there were those in the churches that he's writing to who were trying to persuade or uh, potentially just living their life um, with this thought, thought that Jesus, that God did not truly come to dwell with us, that he did not take on flesh, he did not incarnate uh, to come and be like us and to be with us. And with that being absent, with that wrong theology and understanding of who Jesus is, there's so many tentacles of things that come with that. If Jesus didn't come to dwell with us, if he didn't take on flesh, then how can our flesh even be redeemed? And these are some of the things that he was dealing with. Over the last few weeks, You heard as we studied this text, um, John calling out many of these false messages that have crept into the that had crept into uh, the church. Um, things that would uh, pull believers away from the gospel and pull believers away from following Jesus and into many different things and living their lives um, not in honor of the Lord and not as the children of God. to go back, just in case some of you, I'm catching you up, you're a guest here, I'm so thankful that you join us in worship, uh, but one of the things that he gave us uh, was two tests to discern sort of where our hearts are, and so I know I have this conversation often, you may have had this own dialogue either with a pastor or even maybe a friend or even just, maybe it's just sort of a self-talk that you had, wondering, am I, do I really know Jesus? Am I really walking with the Lord? Am I truly saved? And we ask those questions, most often we ask those questions when we feel weak, when we feel as if sin might be ruling over our lives. And as we asked that question, John gave us two tests. The first was, are we obedient to his commands? If Jesus has transformed our lives, if we know this Jesus who did come and take on flesh is our high priest who's able to sympathize with the weakness of our flesh and he died on the cross, rose three days later, if all of that is true and we believe that, then our understanding of who Jesus is and what he's done for us will lead to us having a desirous obedience, that we want to respond trusting that Jesus' ways, what God has called us to, is always for our good. You know, one of the things that I know I struggle with in my own heart is, I know this is what I'm supposed to do, but sometimes where the doubt starts is, do I believe this is truly for my good? See, when I know that it's for my good, when I trust Jesus fully, then I trust that anything he would tell me to do is not just 
for his glory alone, although it is for that, but it is also for my good. Can you imagine your life if as you walk through life, decisions being made and all of the encounters that you had, you could just confidently say, I know that the things that he has called me to do, yes, they bring Jesus glory, but 100%, I know they're always for my good. Can you imagine some of the doubts that would get swept away if you trusted that? Obedience flows when we have truly followed and trusted Jesus. The second was, the second test that he gave was our love for one another. So we're obedient to his commands, and one of those commands, the primary command that Jesus gave was that you would love one another. And so as he looks and he writes this letter to the church, is there a love for one another that you live with? As Jesus has loved us, do we love others? And that is how we know that we are walking with Jesus. Um, As we got to last week in the middle of chapter 2, beginning in verse 15, John addresses this duality that we so often face. And he says that you cannot love Jesus, you cannot love his church, you cannot love his people, and love the world. And this is where in some of our lives the chickens come home to roost. We have this insatiable desire, this sort of temptation that we seem to struggle with every single moment of every day is this desire to love the world, to want the things that the world has to offer, and to love God and to love Jesus. And the reality is we can't do that. That is one of the great challenges of our day. How do we combat this temptation to love the world and to maybe just add a little Jesus in where we feel it's easy enough to do? Where can we mix Jesus in just enough? Well, John confronted that and said we cannot love the world. As we get to the end of chapter 2, the very end of chapter 2, and then into chapter 3, John is making a bit of a transition, and as he has talked about this love of the world, he's telling us that if we would remember who we are, and remember Christ, we will struggle less in these areas. And that's where we'll look today, at the end of chapter 2, beginning in verse 26. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. John is saying, there are those that are trying to deceive you, that are trying to say to you that you can love the world and you can love Jesus, and that's a lie. And that those things, you can just hold both of those things in balance, He says, I write these things to you because they're trying to deceive you. Verse 27, but the anointing that you received from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. What John is saying to us here is we're either going to believe the gospel or we're going to believe a lie. We're either going to believe the gospel is true or we're going to believe one of these lies that had crept into the church that said it didn't matter how we live. It didn't matter what we loved. It didn't matter any of those things. What matters is we just sort of make it to the end as ultimately what the Gnostic gospel was trying to teach. And John says, no, we either believe the gospel or we believe a lie. And he reminds the church, again, he's writing to Christians here, saying in verse 27, the anointing that you received abides in you. You don't have any need to listen to these false teachers because you already know the truth. I talked about some conversations that I sometimes have had with my boys over their lifetime, reminding them of who they are and their identity in Christ and as part of our family and all those sorts of things. And they don't need to know anything more. And so often I can kind of hear these words like, you already know what is true. Sometimes I've had conversations with uh, folks in our church as we're sitting down and and just kind of walking through some struggles. Maybe you've had this conversation with me or with a counselor or something, and, and sometimes you just need to hear, hey, 
God has already said this is right. Your arguing back and forth with him is not going to change that. This is true. He's already told you. God doesn't have to tell me, for example, to love my wife and to lay my life down for her, as Ephesians 5 says. You know why he doesn't have to tell me that any longer? Because he already did in Ephesians 5. Now, I can argue with him and say, well, Lord, I mean, can I, I mean, do I really need to love Laurel? I mean, I'm not real sure. Is, is this okay? Can I? I can hem and haw him back and forth. He's already said what is true. I have no need for further instruction. Now, how to live that out and how to apply that? Yes, there's some things that I can find helps in. But God has already told us the gospel and what is true. And he's, John is saying here, you've heard the gospel. Let that gospel abide in your hearts because if not, you're going to believe a lie. You know, Paul dealt with this same issue in the very first chapter of Galatians, chapter one, his letter to the Galatian church. He's dealing also with some false teaching that is coming into the church and essentially people that are being led astray from believing the gospel and beginning to believe lies. And here's what he says to them. I'm astonished, this is verse six of chapter one, that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. And here is Paul's strong words for anyone that would lead you or I astray. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you receive, let him be accursed. Strong words for anything. There's only one gospel. And if we could really reconcile in our hearts, we either believe that gospel and the implications that flow from belief in that gospel, or we believe a lie, and there isn't some sort of back and forth, and there's not a lot of gray area here. John 8, Jesus confronting the Pharisees, he explains where these lies come from. He says, you are, the father that you're, you are your father, the devil. He's talking to Pharisees, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. He's speaking of the enemy here, of Satan. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. That's the enemy. We either believe the gospel or we believe the lies that come from the father of lies. We just reconcile that those two things are the reality. John wants us to remember, I write these things to you about all those who would deceive you to remember the anointing you receive from him abides in you. You don't need to hear anything more. Remember and believe the gospel. Well, as he says there, you will remember what you believe if you abide. Notice what he says. You have the anointing you receive from him abides in you and you have no need that anyone should teach you, but his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie. Just as it, as it has taught you, abide in him. I can't speak very well right now, but it's what you hear there, what you read those words again this afternoon, you will see that if we're going to believe the gospel, we're going to believe what we abide in. And you're going to remember what we abide in. Again, this is one of those great challenges is how we remember and apply the gospel to our lives on a daily basis. I'll talk more about this in just a few moments but I've, I've said this so many times in this church. One of the reasons that it is so important to me personally, one of the reasons that it's been so, so important for my wife and for my children and for my family and all that we do, that we are a part of this body regularly is because we understand the temptation in our own hearts to quickly forget the gospel. 
But when we come together with one another on Sunday mornings and we sing the gospel through the words that we sing and we hear the gospel preached through the words that I or one of our other pastors preaches or we spend time with one another and we see the implications of the gospel as we live together in community and all these things, we're reminded of what's true. We must abide in that. Otherwise, we're going to abide in the world. And as we abide in the world and we spend time away from one another and away from the fellowship of the saints and all those things, lies begin to creep in. And John's instructions are to abide in him. You're going to remember what you abide in. Just to give you some clarity on this, I know the gospel right now. I can communicate the gospel to you, not because I'm trained or not because of anything, just because just I know it in my own heart, like many of you. You could say the gospel. You could tell me the gospel of what Jesus has done in your life. We saw just a couple of months ago, 18 people share the gospel as they testified to what Christ had done in their life before they were baptized. I know the gospel this morning. I know it right now. I believe in the gospel. I'm going to step off this stage here at the end of this gathering. I'll go downstairs for a few moments, spend some time. Around 2 o'clock this afternoon, I'll be recounting how I couldn't say the words that were written in my Bible correctly. I stumbled over this. I couldn't do that. I couldn't say that. I should have said this. I didn't use that right application. You're an idiot. How could you even believe? You shouldn't be preaching. Why would you even consider yourself worthy to call yourself a pastor? You should probably just resign and go away forever. You're thinking to yourself, well, that escalated quickly. I'm yelling at the cowboys, I'm mad, I'm angry, I got all sorts of frustrations. How quickly I can forget the gospel. I can forget that I am not loved by God because of anything that I do here in this church, anything that I say or do right now, that I am going to have an inheritance that will not perish and is for me and God's love for me and all of those things and just within a couple of hours because of lies and because of how quickly my mind can wander off, I'll forget all that is true. Now, I don't share that with you for a pity party. I share that with you because if that can happen to me, I'm pretty confident that it can happen to you. It can happen to all of us. I would guess that as I shared that, maybe in a different way, you aren't recounting what you said or didn't say on a Sunday morning or on a stage or anything like that, but you might be recounting a conversation that you did or didn't have with a friend. You're thinking about students, how you didn't get that great or you didn't perform on the field the way that you wanted to. Parents, you're thinking about that child that is wayward and you're saying to yourself, I'm a worthless parent and I shouldn't be, you know, on and on and on and on. We just start peeling back and all of these lies creep in and we're saying to ourselves, we're not worthy, we're unlovable. If it happens to me, I guess it happens to all of you. We forget the gospel, which is why John says that we have to abide. We're going to remember what we abide in. And so he tells us, abide in the gospel truth that you heard, that was taught to you. That is what is true. All of the other accusations, all of those things come from the father of lies, and as the father of lies, they are just that, they're lies. We are tempted to believe those lies, and our hearts easily believe those lies. So we must abide. This is why, count it up, this is your homework for this afternoon, between verses 26 and the end of chapter, or excuse me, verse 10 and chapter 3, count how many times John says the word abide. Abide. And John, of course, is recalling, as we talked about in the first week, Jesus' words to him from John chapter 15, where Jesus told him, abide in me, let my word abide in you. 
This is the instruction that he gives us. This is the answer. If we're going to combat the lies that we're tempted to believe, we must abide. Let me give you three practical ways that you can abide. Three practical ways. If you're going to write anything down today, you don't have to. But if you are writing down, if that's your thing, then this is what you want to write down. The first one is prayer. We must be people who pray. God has given us the opportunity to have a relationship with him through Christ. And more than that, that we have that relationship. And that relationship can be fostered and strengthened through prayer. I fear that one of the reasons that we are so easily led astray as Christians in the world today is because we are people who rarely pray. We do not spend time with the Lord in prayer. Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And guess what happens when he says all of that is prayer. When we do this thing of prayer, his word says, this is Philippians, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will be yours. Now, that's not just peace in the sense of sort of an emotional well-being. That is part of that. It's a bit of an overflow of that. But when he's talking about peace here, the peace that surpasses understanding is, is that I am, should be rightly considered an enemy of God. Because of my sinfulness, because of what I know about myself, I should be considered an enemy of God. But through Christ, I have been reconciled to God and called into his family. And I have peace. We're no longer, I'm no longer at war with God, or God, more rightly put, is no longer at war with me because of Jesus. Because Jesus has already paid the penalty for my sin. And when I go to the Father in prayer and when I call out to him, I am reminded that that is true and I have a peacefulness that comes to me. Again, yes, an emotional, but I'm reminded of the peace that I have with God. That's what surpasses all understanding. It doesn't make sense that I could call out to my Father in heaven and speak to him and that he would actually listen. That the great mystery of God's sovereignty, that somehow he does what he does and accomplishes his sovereign purposes of the world in response to our prayers. I don't know exactly how that works because I'm not God, and I'm okay with not fully comprehending or being able to explain that. But what I do know is Scripture is abundantly clear. We should be people. We must be people of prayer. If we're going to abide in Christ, we must pray. If you don't know what to pray, or if perhaps you think to yourself, I don't know how to pray. Let me just tell you what I tell, have told my kids. Just talk to God like you talk to me. My f- kids come to me, Dad, how do I do this? What do I do here? How should this work? I need help. There's some version of that pretty much just on repeat. And money. Should have mentioned money. Needs. Talk to God. If you're in Christ. As we're going to see in just a few minutes, he is your heavenly father. Call out to him. Perhaps you don't even know where you stand before God or you're wondering if he's hearing from you. Let me just encourage you. Just call out to him and say, I want to know you. I need to know whether you're real. I need to know where I stand with you. I need you. And as you call out to him and make that request and just keep asking and keep asking and keep asking and he will respond. There are so many testimonies in this room that I know of that I can confidently say their response to you if you ask them that question one-on-one, they would say to you, yes, I called out to God over and over again and he heard my prayer. He heard my cries for help, my pleas. 
Go to the Lord in prayer. If we're going to abide, we must pray. Second is to meditate. And no, I don't mean some sort of Eastern mysticism here. I say meditate as the psalmist says. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is on the law of the Lord, and on his law, his word, he meditates day and night. He meditates on his word. We should be people who meditate on God's word. That means we take it slowly. Like a good glass of wine, you sip it slowly. You don't just just rush through God's word. Some of us get into the Bible and we're just checking off the box. Check, 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 check. And we want to just sort of accomplish our Bible reading plans. Let me just encourage you, that's not the answer. Meditate on God's word. Let it sink deeply into your hearts and into your souls. One of the things that we're going to offer in the new year coming in 23 is a new Bible reading plan. I know this last year we gave you a Bible reading plan that was reading through the Bible in a year. Like 0.7 of you guys are doing that, which is awesome. We're so thankful and excited and we want to praise God for your just following through on that. All right? But this time we're going to give you a Bible reading plan. And by the way, there's no condemnation. Our Bible reading plan that we're going to give you this year is a three-year plan. We gave this out probably in about year three of our church. So we're going to bring that back and give that out to you. As it means to walk through the Bible over three years, to slowly walk through the Bible and to meditate on his word and let his word sink deeply into your hearts. Second or third is community, Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. And let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near that we have been given one another, this community of faith, to spur one another on, to encourage one another, and to do that even more and more as the day is drawing near. And guess what? The day is nearer for Christ's return now than it will be, or than it was yesterday. And so as we see that day drawing near, we spur one another on, and we've been given the gift of community. And so I want to just encourage you, if you're going to abide in Christ, press into that community, this community that he has given you. Again, this is such a gift to me. One of the things I love about our church is the way that we love one another and we encourage one another. You encourage me. If you're wondering about that process or how we might do that, and perhaps you're new, let me just walk you through it really quickly. You're here on a Sunday morning. As the new year comes around, we'll re-engage with our various ministries. We have re-engage, I could say that. That's our marriage ministry, which is an awesome one. We'll have men's and women's Bible studies restarting up in January. Tuesday mornings, Tuesday evenings, Wednesday mornings, we'll have those groups gathering together. If you want to move forward and really make this church your home, we'll have City Church 101 and 201, which is our process of becoming a member here or a covenant partner. So link with us and commit your life to this church, not just as an attender and sort of, hey, popping in every now and again um, to say hi, but really committing and engaging in the life of this church and giving your life to serving as the O'Briens you heard from them this morning. We'll have family groups are a part of that. When you come and become a partner in this church, you're assigned to a family group so that there are people that will get to know you and reach out to you and, and, and are aware of you and are aware of your life and can sort of connect with you and make sure and how you're doing. And then the last thing is we have fight clubs. You're going to hear a lot about fight clubs in 23 as well. We've been talking about that for a number of years, but we want to ensure and ask that every single person is engaged in a fight club. What is a fight club, you're asking? It's three or four people gathering together to open God's word, to do what I just said, to abide, to meditate on his word, 
to pray with one another, to encourage one another through community, and making a commitment to doing that. If you're not in a fight club, you need to ask someone, hey, I am not in a fight club. I'd like to be in a fight club. If you're in a fight club, you need to be looking around and seeing people that you see that maybe they're not. And if somebody, go up to them and say, hey, are you in a fight club? Do you have somebody that you open God's word with on a regular basis? And when somebody asks you that, you're going to be truthful. You're going to be like, no, I don't really ever do that. Okay, well, come and join me. And then your response will be yes. Just like that, yes. Yes, all right? So get in community and enjoy the, the fellowship of community. These are the things that we do to abide. John tells us why we do this. It's all in response to what God has done, beginning in chapter 3. See what kind of love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. See what kind of love the Father has shown us, that we could be called children of God, and so we are. Let there not be any doubt in your hearts. You who have put your faith in Christ are a child of God. We get to speak of Jesus, calling him our elder brother. Can you you fathom that? Can you imagine that you are called a child of God? That is how much God loves you. This is why we can go to him in prayer. And just as I told my kids, just talk to God like you talk to me. I get to talk to God as my father because he is, because the Bible says, I am a child of God. And so I am because of Christ. Abide in that. We need to say to our hearts, reminding ourselves when we're tempted to love the world and we're tempted to forget all that Christ is, he is my dad. He's my father. I am his child. And that means, as John says here, we're going to stick out a bit. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. That's our future hope. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. For the second time this series, I'm going to quote the great theologian's DC talk. Back in the 90s, they had a song and it said, what will people say when they say that I'm a Jesus freak? Some of you are singing that now. You're going to bounce along all afternoon which is great. I've been doing it for a week. What will people say when they hear that I'm a Jesus freak? They used to call us Jesus freaks. That was sort of the thing that we were afraid of. And so DC Talk, this young hip-hop group, wrote a song to sort of encourage young people to say, hey, it's okay to be called a Jesus freak. Well, I fear that none of us are called Jesus freaks because we've fallen so in love with the world and we're trying to balance our lives between these two things that we don't stick out to the world. We don't look different than the world. We are children of God, and God's word to us is as as children of God, we are going to look different. We're going to look like Jesus, and the world won't understand and won't know us because they don't know him. By the way, this is one of the things that we so often forget as Christians. We expect non-believers to think like us, to believe like us, to see the world like us, or to accept us in sort of the way they accept the rest of the world. We need to realize that's not what's going to happen. 
Do you know why Hollywood doesn't make Christian movies? It's not because it doesn't make money. That's been proven. They don't make Christian movies. Let me just tell you why. They're not Christians. By and large, they don't do Christian things because they're not Christians. Your neighbor, your friend, your whatever that thinks differently, sees the world differently, all of those things, they think that way because they don't know Jesus. Now, our calling is to love unconditionally those that are far from God and to let our love for one another be a display to them of the love of Christ. But don't be confused. Don't get frustrated when the world doesn't understand you, doesn't look like you, doesn't make the same decisions that you make because God's word says his children will look different, will make different decisions. We need to remember that. We're Christians. We won't fit in very well. We shouldn't fit in very well. This is why John tells us that we must love one another. This is why in the book of Acts, when the New Testament church is first beginning, that there's this this desperate need and requirement to share with one another and to love one another and to share all of the resources because the reality was that the outside world hated the Christians. It was persecuting the Christians. And therefore, they had to rely closely on one another. This is also why, as I've had the opportunity, and many of you have done this as well, to travel to other parts of the world into the countries where Christianity is not just looked down upon or sort of thought of like our Hollywood thinks of Christianity, but is actually oppressed and and persecuted and condemned and people are killed for it. And do you know what's happening in those parts of the world? The church is thriving. It's multiplying and exploding in places where there is no endorsement of Christianity. Why? Because the church is abiding in Christ. The church is living as they have been called to live, relying on one another and relying on Christ, and they're remembering who they are as children of God. Let us do that here as our country continues to progress more and more to become a post-Christian nation. Let us remember that, and we are called to love one another and to abide in Christ so that we look different to the world, and that difference is always winsome. Because there's joy. It's not a beat down walk around the block. It's a joyful walk because we know whose we are. John contrasts this abiding in Christ and our coming to the Father with those who would live in sin. In verse 4, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. John's plea here is, there are those who are coming into the church, and they're trying to convince you that lawlessness, that your righteousness that is lived out through Christ and in Christ doesn't matter. That's the message that John was confronting in this New Testament church. And he's saying to them, if they continue to tell you that you can just, doesn't matter how you live, doesn't matter the things that you do, that lawlessness, then they don't know Jesus. They don't know him. They're not walking with him because anyone who is abiding in Christ will walk with Jesus. If we make a practice of sinning, we're not abiding in him. And we cannot claim to know Christ and continue in sin. That's the message that God is speaking to us here. We must abide in Christ. 
we cannot abide in sin. Again, have a conversation with your brother or sister in Christ. Talk to them about some of the sin in your life or in their life. That they, uh, just ask them about that. And I, I, I guarantee they're going to tell you like me. I'm a sinner. I fall short of the glory of God on a regular basis. But praise be to God. When I do, the Holy Spirit convicts me of that sin. And I run to him because I abide in him. And I can go to my father and I can confess that sin to him because I am aware of that. This is what happens to those of us who have been raised to life in Christ. Our hearts no longer just live with lawlessness because we have a righteousness that comes from Christ. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. What he's saying there is all of the righteousness that's on display in my life, in our lives as Christians, is through Christ. But if all that is on display in our life is lawlessness and disobedience and there's no conviction of that sin and there's this constant abiding in sin, then we have deceived ourselves and we have been deceived. We need to reconcile that. So let us be people who abide in Christ. Let us confess our sins and run to Jesus. This is what we get to do when we celebrate communion when we come to the Lord's table as we're going to do this morning. We get to be reminded of Jesus and what he has done. Jesus gave the church two ordinances to practice, to continue building the church and reminding us of what is true. The first ordinance is baptism. You heard me reference that before. Where through baptism we confess to our new brothers and sisters to the world that we've put our faith in Jesus Christ. When someone comes for baptism, they say that they have put their faith in Jesus, in Jesus' work on the cross on their behalf. And when we come to the table, as we said, often we are reminding ourselves and we're confessing to one another we are still Christian. That my hope is found in what Jesus has done for me on my behalf that the gospel is true, and I'm abiding in that truth. The truth that God would have been just and right to condemn me in my sinfulness. And yet, as Ephesians says, but God, Jesus came and willingly laid down his life for me on my behalf. He did that on the cross. Three days later, he took up his life again, conquering sin and death once and for all. And what I testified to many, many, many years ago at my baptism was that I have put my faith and hope in what Jesus has done for me. And what I testify to when I will come and receive from the Lord's table is I'm remembering what Christ did for me. His broken body, his shed blood was for me, and I'm remembering that truth. So we get to do that this morning. And I want to invite you. Spend some time before you come to the table in prayer in seeking out the Lord. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, Scripture would tell you to abstain from coming to the table because this is an act of remembrance. So rather than coming forward, my request, God's word to you would be, spend some time this morning asking God, show me yourself. I don't know you like he seems to know you or like she seems to know you, like my brother, like my mom, like my sister seems to know you. I want to know you like that. Ask God to come into your heart and to reveal himself to you. Don't come to the table. Just spend some time in prayer this morning. 
But for those of us who have put our faith in Christ, we'll come to the table and remember what Christ has done on our behalf. We're going to change up a little bit of our logistics this morning on how we receive communion. Um, Again, the worship team is going to begin to lead us in song, and we can join with them or just spend some time seated in prayer. Um, But our elders are going to dismiss you. Pastor Kyle will be here to my left, and Pastor Adam will be down here to my right. And we're going to let the wings, the right and left sides of the room, go first. You're going to come up, receive your bread from one of our elders, and then kind of exit through the center and go back to your seats. And after the wings have gone, then the center section, you guys will also come up and you'll kind of flow out to the bread and the center. So up on the sides, exit through the middle. I know this is a little bit logistical. You you might have noticed we're growing tight on space. And so we're just trying to make this a little bit more um, peaceful. And uh, so thank you for your patience in that. Um, Let me pray. The worship team will begin to lead us and then we'll come to the table Um, as the Lord leads. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for your love for us. Help us to abide in you. Would you move here in our midst? If there's anyone in this room who is doubting, who's unsure of who you are, Jesus, would you use this time right now to tear down the walls around their heart, convince them of what is true, of your great love for them, your sacrificial love, which was on display when you laid down your life for me, for my brothers and sisters. Help us to remember that this morning. And as we do, Lord, would it transform us once again to live for you in a very broken world that desperately needs you. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the preaching of God's Word at City Church Melissa. We meet Sunday mornings at 9 and 1045 a.m. at 2300 Vineyard Hill Lane, and we hope to see you there soon. City Church Melissa, for the glory of God and the good of the city.